All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Should you get married young and have children? We're going to be discussing this topic today. This has actually been kind of trending in conservative circles. And so it's got a lot of people asking whether or not that is actually an appropriate course of action. And so we had someone point out to my wife, Tina and I, that this was something we actually did. We got married at age 19 and 20, had three kids before we were 30. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit. So we've been married 22 years. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about getting married young and having children all up on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right. I'm here with my lovely wife, Tina. Hello, everyone. And uh, we had uh, my, my producer actually said, hey, Nick, uh, we've there's this trend going around, kind of conservative circles, Twitter, um, some of the discussions what have been going on about you know, get married young and have kids. And I said, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. He goes, well, Nick, you realize like you and Tina did that, right? You guys are obviously in the conservative movement. You're in the elected office, but you guys got married young and had kids. You know, what, what was, and you're still married 22 years later. So what is the, uh, what is the secret as it were to doing that? And so we decided that uh, Tina and I would sit here and talk a little bit about like what it was like to get married at age 19 and 20, because I think there's some people think that, well, if, if the circumstances are perfect and everything aligns and you don't have financial issues and you kind of know, and you're, you're secure in what you're going to do job wise and you know, your, your family's close by to assist. then if all these things align, well then obviously getting married under those circumstances um, might work out well. And what's interesting is that for Tina and I, like, None of those were the circumstances. Both of us came from, you know, broken homes. Our parents got divorced, you know, rather when we were both pretty young, remarried. In my case, you know, divorced again. So, and then when when we got married, like I, I mean, we were, I was in the military. We had multiple combat deployments, uh, moved numerous times, and so. Um, Tina and I are going to talk a little. So as you can see, it wasn't like what you would consider ideal circumstances. I mean, I don't think. No, definitely. I think that um, one of the unique things about our situation is that uh, we started dating in high school. And because we both came from homes of divorced um, parents who um, just we didn't have uh, the perfect, healthy marriage modeled for us necessarily. And so it was something where we both looked at marriage as it should be forever. And we wanted to analyze why sometimes it's not forever for for some folks and we we kind of did a lot of examining on our on ourselves and what our expectations were with each other and i think at 19 and 20 is when we got married but we had those conversations at 18 and 19 yeah 
Well, no, yeah, I remember us when, I mean, when we had been dating a little while and it, I think both of us, we had, we had a similar worldview in respect that for both of us, you know, our faith was the, was center, like was the starting point of what we believed. Um, and that's not to say that we haven't had to like grow in our faith and we haven't had times where we felt like closer to God versus far away because of things that, you know, we did, um, as far as being farther away, but it was, it was one of those things where that was kind of, I think for both of us, that was the starting point. That was the, the foregone conclusion. I think both of us had an expectation that if we're going to have a successful marriage, then we have to both be committed to God first, then each other. Absolutely. And I mean, and we weren't even necessarily that strong in our walks when we got married, but we knew we wanted to keep him first. So we were strong enough to know he he should come first. Um, and we and we basically grew together after that. But I, I feel like it was just really, really important for us to have the conversation that a lot of people are so excited about this new love and they're looking at everything through rose-colored glasses. And uh, I feel like Nick and I really tried to look at things seriously and analyze analyze our personalities and, and try to deal with whatever hurdles we might have um, in the future before all of this happened. Because sometimes you'll agree that this is my expectation for you and here's your expectation for me. And then things don't go as as you might have planned or, or maybe things weren't quite as easy as you thought. And um, the point is, you've got to sometimes readjust those things and and just remember that you're you know you're on the same team. So what adjustments do we need to make to, for the other person to be happy? Well, and I, okay, I think that's important because let's let's be specific. Like you and I know this story because we lived it, but so the audience understands. Like, let me kind of lay the groundwork for this. We we had been dating a little while in in high school, and by a little while I mean like a couple months, and I think both of us. There, there was a couple things. One, obviously, our faith was important to us. I, I think both of us too were sensitive to the fact that neither one of us wanted to like mess around with the other's heart. I think there's a lot of people look at dating now as dating is like some sort of experimental wilderness where you're just running around and eventually you're having a good time and, and eventually one of these times you'll meet the person you have the best time with and that's the person you marry. And and neither one of us had that mindset. I think both both of us had the mindset where is you know don't don't mess with the other person's heart. And, you know, and, and make sure that you guys are both, you, you guys are with each other for the right reason. Like, is it, is it to get married? Um, and so I remember us starting off with questions like, you know, everything from what are your expectations with respect to, you know, working like, right. Obviously, like I saw myself, my expectation was, is that I would be, I would have to be a primary breadwinner. That didn't mean that you couldn't be a breadwinner. It didn't even mean you couldn't make more money than me, but I, I took it as, I looked at it as my responsibility to ensure that I was making enough to where we could live on so that if you didn't want to work right, once we started having kids and things like that, you did not, it would not be a financial necessity for you to work. I, I remember that being one of my expectations on myself, but that was also something I had to ask you, like, what is, is that an expectation you have in a husband and, and what other things would you want to do? And so that's just, that's one example. Absolutely. And, you know, I would, I would just caveat, see here, you're going to see a marital moment right here. He totally used the wrong word work. Yes. I don't work. I wasn't working outside the home during kids, but I definitely worked. I walked right into that one. <laughs> Yeah, especially since we homeschool and everything. Like, so she, 
Well, not only that, but there, there was also so we had this expectation too about and and again, there's a the popular vernacular is work is usually associated with outside of the home, but there's a difference between you're absolutely right. There's a difference between someone who just stays home and someone who is a homemaker in the sense that they do work, they build, they take the main the the maintaining of the family and like the homestead as something very serious. And it it's funny because we we actually had a we actually had an incident not that long ago where people dropped off a, a new washer and dryer. And Tina was here and I was I was doing something else. And the two guys that dropped it off were explaining to Tina, like, okay, tell your husband when he gets back X, Y, and Z. And what they don't realize is I don't do that stuff in our marriage. Tina's the one that like we had a we had a water problem. Tina went on YouTube, figured out how to put in an entire filtration system and fix the water problem, right? We had to do new flooring. Other than me, like, like doing some of the demolition and ripping up heavy stuff, like Tina put in the floors and Tina fixes the appliance. Like she does all this stuff and she likes doing it and she's good at it. And as, as, you know, as much as it might hurt my ego, she's better at it, a lot of it than I am. Well, I mean... And I think it's just really important to play to each other's strengths. And um, I think that gender roles, sometimes there is a, a stigma surrounding, you know, oh, this is man's work and this is woman's work. And the point of the matter is you have work that has to be done in a family. And whoever is the most suited to do that work and who is the most inclined to not throw tools or, uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, being unable to level something or square it, you know, you need somebody that actually is inclined to do that type of work to be the one doing the work. And sometimes it's the man, sometimes it's the woman. And, you know, sometimes you've got a budding, uh, little engineer like we do, who will side by side, our son will, uh, help us build things. And he's, he's pretty amazing. And so I think you just have to play to each other's strengths and don't try to morph yourself into a box that you don't belong in and, and don't be so insecure, uh, about being unable to do certain things or, or not, not as good at certain things, um, that kind of pride kicks in and you've got to do it no matter what, when the other person might be just better suited to do it. Well, and, and I think that's the difference too, between the way I'll put it this way, the way the world looks at gender roles versus the way like the Bible looks at roles of a husband and a wife. I think, I think there's, a, there's a distinct difference there that sometimes gets confused because the world says that, you know, okay, there's certain things that, that men and women do or are naturally inclined to. And it's not all wrong, right? Some of that is, is an accurate reflection of the way a lot of relationships work. But to your point, Within a biblical worldview, within a biblical marriage, where you say, "Okay, look, you know, God is the forefront. The husband has certain responsibilities. The wife has certain responsibilities, which are universal. Like I don't care what the marriage is. I don't care what the English, there, there's universal truths there. But then there's also an element of, and I think the way you said it works best. It's that people have certain gifts and they have certain strengths, and they should be allowed to develop those strengths. And if and if you are letting pride or ego standing in the way of someone being able to fully realize the, the gifts that God has given them and, and their ability to be able to use those to contribute to the family, maybe that's a world's view of the way, you know, the, the roles between husband and wife. That is not a biblical view. Now, I, I would say this, and there was an interesting incident I had with somebody on an airplane once where they were asking me about this. And and so I wanted, let's, let's, 
let's kind of zero in on that for a little bit. Like, what is what is that biblical worldview of marriage? Because everything we've been talking about at this point, we talk about the center of our faith, and we talk about the fact that we ask questions. And I mean, we ask questions about, you know, gosh, you know, uh, how many kids do you, how many kids would you like to have? And you know, what do we think bedtime should be like? And what do we think their education should look like? And you know, are we responsible for paying for their college or not? Like, we discuss some of these specific details. You know, what what sort of jobs around the house would you expect me to be primarily responsible for versus assist with, and vice versa? Like, we had all of these discussions, but the one thing that we both knew was that we were going to have a biblical worldview of marriage. And so what that meant, and and let me just tell the story because I think it'll be easier that way. I was sitting on a plane. I have so many stories to start with sitting on a You're plane. You're always on a plane. I'm always on a plane, right? <laughs> and um, and this, this, one, uh, this one young gal is sitting next to me and she's trying to read something and she's clicking on the, the light uh, to read and it's not working. And I noticed this and I said, you know, do you want to switch seats? I said, my light's working. I said, I'm just reading for fun. You look like you're, you're actually trying to focus on something. And she said, oh yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So she switches seats and she says, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm actually flying to a job interview. This is kind of a big opportunity uh, because, you know, I, I just got married. I said, oh, that's, that's wonderful. I said, can I tell you something? I said, there's going to be a lot of people that, that trash marriage or try to run it down or make a lot of jokes about it. I said, I want you to know right now, I, I've been married a while and being married is great. It's wonderful. So I just want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you that marriage is a wonderful thing. And she asked me, how long have you been married? And at that point, I think we'd been married like 15 years. We've been married 22 now, but at that point, it'd be like 15 years. And she goes, she looks at me kind of strange. And she goes, you don't look that much older than me. You know, how, when did you get married? And I said, well, first of all, thank you for telling me I don't look old. I usually get the opposite. But um, I said, no, we got married in 19 and 20. And um, I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in the military. You know, we've been through, you know, we have three kids. We've been, we've moved, like, I think at that point, like nine times, two combat tours, the whole deal. And she looks at me, she goes, how do you make it work? And I looked back and I said, do you really want to know? And she kind of stops yeah. for a second. When you respond with, do you really want to know? That really piques a person's attention because they feel like uh, there's some kind of mystery suddenly that that you might enlighten them to. Well, and that or they think you're about to say something totally off the wall. Like I'm about to either, you know, sell her Amway or, you know, mm-hmm. or something else. A lot of drugs. Yeah. Drugs. That's how we made it work. No, that was a joke. That was a joke. So I, I look back. I said, well, and she goes, yeah, I do. I said, we have a biblical worldview with respect to marriage. And she goes, what do you mean by that? And I found that interesting Mm -hmm. because, you know, 10, you know, 20 years before that, if I would have said a biblical worldview of marriage, people would have agreed, people would have disagreed, but everyone would have have known what I meant. No, people don't know what that means anymore. I mean, you, you just say a few basic things that are, that are, you just assume that everyone knows now. And a lot of folks just don't know it anymore. They don't recognize any of it. Well, and and I also knew that I was about to say something that was culturally unpopular because as soon as she said, what do you mean by a biblical worldview of marriage? I started to go into, you know, kind of the the roles that the the Bible talks about ha- a husband and a wife having. And I said, well, like for one of, for instance, this is just one of the examples I gave, but this is the one that I knew we were going to stop on. I said, you know, like I'm, I'm the, I'm the head of my household. And she's, yeah, exactly. She stops. But the thing was, is she wasn't like, she didn't get defensive. She, she honestly looked at me. She goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She goes, why does there have to be a head? And I said, what do you think when I say that? 
And she was, well, she's like the, the leader of the person in charge. I said, well, let me ask you a question. When you got married, did you say till death do you part? She said, yes, we did. I said, what happens if you disagree on something? Like if you honestly disagree on something, what happens? Who makes the decision? And that was the part where she she kind of got it. I said, because either someone's going to make a decision and the other person is going to submit to that decision or the marriage is going to dissolve. So how committed are you to this this oath you gave right. on till death do us part? Because she that's, goes, where you get, that's where you get irreconcilable dif- differences is yeah. when you're at an impasse and neither person is willing to yield to the other, then what do you do then? You, it's over. Well, and, and I told her, I said, look, you, you need to understand something about the, the, the biblical concept of headship of the family or, or the husband's responsibility within that. I said, it is not this tyrannical lording over like I do. What, in, in fact, I said, here's what it really means. It means that I am overall responsible for the well-being and safety of my family um, and by safety, I mean up to and including my life for theirs. Like in, 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 the, in the overall structure of that leadership, as a husband, as a father, what it means is that ultimately, if I have to trade, and, and I know this sounds like an extreme circumstance, but it's something under, it's a mindset. If I have to trade my life, my happiness, my concerns for theirs, either in a given moment or whatever it is, they take precedent. I said, that part gets lost a lot when we're talking about this concept of, of, you know, responsibility within a, a, a biblical marriage. Um, I said on, on the other side of that, you know, the, the, the wife's role is not this idea of, again, of being like a, a subservient to the husband as much as it is acknowledging that when there, when there is, when a decision has to be made and you can't reach some sort of, you know, compromise or agreement, then someone has to make the decision, but I have to make the decision based off of what's best for my wife and children, not what is necessarily what I prefer. Absolutely. And there is a trust element um, in that. And if if one person has to be the final, fi- ha- have to, has to have this final say on something, it is a massive thing for the other person to trust that they're making this decision that, you know, based on what is best for the family and not m- making the decision out of, out of selfish desires. And I think sometimes that's one of the reasons why the idea of, you know, um, having a head of the household and submission and things like that can kind of have this ugly picture in a lot of people's minds is because we are in this society, we're taught to be so selfish. And if, I mean, I can't tell you how often I see posts on Facebook and everything else of women being, you know, saying things like, you know, I'm a, I'm a queen and I deserve this and I deserve that. And if he's not willing to just deal with all of my crap, then uh, he's just not good enough for me. And I'm just thinking that's a good way to be alone. You know, you really cannot be selfish like that. And the thing is, is, you know, if if you're a queen and you deserve all this stuff, well, then you're trying to find a king who also deserves some things. And are you what he deserves? And that's kind of it. It's. It just sort of sets everybody up for failure when it's all about you are your existence is to make me happy and to make sure I have everything I want. And if I am the least bit uh, discontented, then, uh, you know, you're just not 
you're just not doing your job. Um, and I, I think that I think it's because we see things through this weird societal lens of being so self-focused and that I am the most important person in this sphere um, and, and looking out for number one all the time. There is no selflessness. And if there is selflessness, it's all virtue signaling. So everyone else sees it and it's not true and it's not it's not actually in the heart. And so I think that when you're going into things with that sort of selfish mindset, you're really just not ready to make a marriage work. You have to be empathetic. And I think if if there was one thing that aside from, of course, having a biblical worldview, but I see biblical worldview marriages fail all the time still too. And I think empathy for what the other person has to go through and laying your own self down for them is that shows love and that helps to succeed. And, and obviously both people need to be on the same page. I mean, we have times where boy, Nick can incite me to passion on one side and he can incite me to passion on the other side. <laughs> there is no one that can make me more angry than Nick. And I think there's no one that can make Nick more angry than I can. And it's because we know each other's buttons, of course. And um, sometimes we push them in a good way and sometimes we push them <laughs> in, a, in a little bit of a not so good way. And but But when you are having those discussions that do get heated and things like that because they do and they should you know if you're not willing to fight certain things out then maybe there's you're having an issue with there not being anything to fight for i mean you've got to you're, you've got to be on each other's team and be fighting for um helping the other person understand your heart and fighting to learn how to understand the other person's heart you know and so we need to lay ourselves down for each other so all that to say um Empathy. Empathy is lacking in so many spheres in, in the world today and and very much so in marriages. And that, I think that's why we see a lot of people trashing their spouses and, and things of that nature. Well, and I, and I think it also comes down to, so when, when we ask the question or when we make the statement, like get married young, I mean, I, neither one of us are suggesting that that has to be the recipe for everybody, right? That different people, like, like I mean, different people are going to have, you know, just different circumstances and everything else. And God's got a different plan for different people. But do I think the reason why I think, and I'll be so bold as to say that our, our marriage has been, you know, successful for the last, you know, 22 years. Um, I agree. I agree. I agree. So yeah, I think you can say that. <laughs> okay. So it, it's, it, it really is one of those things where should you get married young? Well, again, I, I think when a lot of people are telling you don't get married until you're like, totally financially, you know, stable. Again, Tina and I weren't, I remember our, our first, when we first got married. So let, let's break this down this way. So we, we've talked a little bit about some of the conversations we had, some of like the worldview that we took into marriage, some of the beliefs that we had at a very young age. And then, and, and again, those beliefs were based off of a biblical worldview of marriage about being honest and talking with one another about what our expectations were. I would say that the third component uh, that is is really important to that is that both of us were committed to this idea that when we said this was it, like we're married and and it's till death that was but we meant it, like there like we meant it. People ask how do I had someone ask me once like how did you know that Tina was the one? I said that's easy. I married her, and and it, it took him aback because everyone has this idea like out of the Disney movies or something like that where it's like you like obviously I was attracted to my wife and obviously I I had like this this you know. I felt sick when I was away from her and I felt great when I was around her, right? There was all of those emotional, physical reactions to just, you know, her and her presence. But when I got married, 
that it's not the, it was the idea that no, now not only do I have all of that, but I have also made a choice like this. This is, I have made a positive choice. How do you know this person's the one easy? I chose him. I married him. That means there is no, there is no other one in this circumstance. That's that's where in your vows, most vows, and a lot of people write their vows now and they're not really vows or whatever, but some are vows. That's great. But whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever. But <laughs> I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying some of them don't really sound like you're making a commitment. They sound more like you're writing a song. But I'm just saying, um, you know, where it says forsaking all others to forsake is to turn your back. You're turning your back on other people. You're abandoning every it's like you're abandoning other choices mm-hmm. and you have thrown that off. And so now there are no other choices. The choice now is to make it work with the person that you're with. And I'm not saying there's not crazy extenuating circumstances that people have had to deal with. And when the people aren't on the same page and you've got people who are unfaithful and things like that, and there, there are always caveats, of course, but the point of the matter is you, you can't ever think that there is another option because you need to focus on what you want, you know, you need to focus on this relationship and making it better. And, you know, and that that's going to take communication. Well, and I think that also, like I, I told somebody once, like, you know, the old story of like when Cortez got to the new world, he burned the ships. Um, that's the way I refer to it. Someone like, dude, you burned the ships, man. You got married. There is no exit strategy. Um, and the other thing I've also realized about that is that the more you're focusing on you know, again, like I, I have to, my first, my first responsibility is to glorify God in my life. And if I do that properly, I will end up loving my wife the way that she deserves and, and honoring my, the, my wife, the way that she deserves. So I, I think those, those three things are really important. Again, having, being on the same sheet of music with respect to your worldview is critical. This idea that, you know, people that if you're going to marry someone that has a diametrically opposed worldview, theologically, you know, philosophically, et cetera, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. You're basically saying that this good feeling that I have with this person is essentially going to be, you know, more important than our fundamental worldview on how we interpret reality. And it isn't. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think your, your, your worldview has to be the same. And again, Tina's and my were, we talked about this. And and when we talked about it, we didn't just say, you know, Oh, do you love Jesus? Yeah, me too. All right. You know, question that no we we actually dug into what we believed about our faith or about our body because that was going to be critical for the next step and that is when we raise children right because presumably you get married most people get married with the understanding that they're going to have children one day so we we got the worldview question down the the second part was is we talked about our expectations and expectations did not mean you know, it's, I either get what I want or that's it. What it was, was a starting point. And it, what, what it did was it removed confusion. Um, you, you see so many like, you know, shows and counseling sessions and all this other stuff where there were all these unspoken expectations between a potential husband and wife when they were dating, when they were engaged and they never talked about it. So they, because they were so caught up in the bliss or planning for this, you know, hundred thousand dollar wedding. And then all of a sudden this thing called a marriage comes after it and they had all these unspoken expectations and it was totally unreasonable for them to expect it of the other when they had never articulated it. So we took that confusion out of it. And it doesn't mean that the expectations that we had at 18 when we were having this conversation stayed the same through 22 years of marriage, but we knew we were where we were coming from. And then that third component was burn the ships, man. There is no exit strategy, 
right? It's you, it's you and me for life. You, you, me and God against the world, baby, right? Like that is what it is. So that's, that's where we went in with our marriage. Absolutely. Now we did analyze some of the things that, um, you know, and I'm not trying to be offensive to either of our parents or anything like that, but what it was, what it might've been within those relationships that was broken, um, that caused things not to work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there are certain there are certain situations that I don't advocate staying in. I don't advocate somebody to stay in an abusive situation. I mean, if you're not being loved and you are being abused, I don't advocate. I, I mean, yes, you burn the ships, but uh, you need to swim out of there. Well, and, and abuse is not you, you got your feelings hurt or you didn't have an expectation met. Abuse is what we're talking about, like physical abuse, infidelity, um, you know, just like deep emotional abuse of someone we're, we're talking about again biblical i mean even even when they asked christ about um um divorce christ said you know in in acts in cases of of um infidelity right because that that's a that's a huge breaking of of trust and and bond between another person that doesn't mean you have to get divorced in that circumstance um but a, again i i take notice when even scripture says hey look in this circumstance you know that's you know that's that's pretty bad um, but so we, we did, we analyzed those other, and that's why it also set up other rules for ourselves too, about like, you know, uh, friends and things like that. Like, I don't, I can't even imagine having a best friend that is a woman, a best friend or a confidant that is a woman. That's my wife. My wife's my best friend and my confidant, right? I don't, I don't go away. I don't go places or on business trips or travel with people where I'm alone with, with women in settings, um, out of respect, you know, to my wife. Um, so there, there was about setting boundaries, the ideas like, um, you know, when we, when we're really upset with each other, we talk it out, like we'll pray about it. We'll talk about it. Um, this whole idea of like, go sleep on the couch. We don't do that. We never do the sleep on the couch thing. We, uh, first of all, we have a king size bed, so there's room. (laughs) And, um, but we, neither of us can sleep if we're arguing, neither of us can handle it when we're not on the same page. And so the whole point is, and, and there's only been a handful of times where, we felt like, man, we're just not going to get on the same page. So we're kind of, let's just let it go. Um, That's only been once or twice, really. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's about, okay, I haven't done a good enough job communicating what I mean. And there have been times where I have had to, I have realized what he meant, or I have realized that I've been completely unreasonable and I've had to come and apologize. And, you know, here's the other thing. It's really important that my kids see me do that because I don't want my kids to think that we are never wrong with each other. I want them to see the the um, that repentive heart. And, and when I'm wrong, I need to say so to him. And I need to ask him to forgive me for, for how I behaved sometimes. And my kids need to see me do that because I want, I want them to see the real side of how to treat one another. If they only see us in a reconciled state, they won't know what to do when they themselves in their own marriage have um, a situation where they need to come and say that they were wrong and and apologize. If they never saw mom do it or they never saw dad do it, then they're just going to think that's not necessary. Well, and I think that brings in the second part here that we wanted to talk about. And that's like, okay, we got married young. What was the, what was the secret for the last 22 years on, you know, staying on the same team and, and, 
staying together. And again, I think the principles that we just talked, those three primary principles that we just talked about were really important to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, okay, now you're married, you you start having kids. Again, the, the, I would even go so far as to say that your, your parenting philosophy starts before you have kids. You, you have to actually sit down and talk about what the, the shared parenting philosophy is because based off of how you grew up and things you might have experienced or things you might have seen or if you grew up in an environment where maybe the parenting wasn't all that swell, right? And, and again, I'm not claiming I experienced that, but it that factors in significantly to how someone interprets what the proper raising of children looks like. And so that was another thing we talked about was like, okay, when it comes to discipline, it's amazing how much, (laughs) it's amazing how many of the discussions that you talk about to set your marriage up for success, both pre and post having children is based off of conflict resolution. It's, it's a base, it's anticipating that there's going to be stress, there's going to be conflict, and this is how we plan to deal with it. And again, just like we took a biblical worldview with respect to our marriage, we also took a biblical worldview with respect to raising our children. And there was this idea, and and again, we talked a little bit about you know submission within marriage. It's important to remember that it's not just you know one submitting to the other; it's about both of you submitting to Christ. Because when when Tina will address me and say, "Hey Nick, I think you were wrong about something," and she can demonstrate to me why I'm wrong, you know, either either scripturally or, or then I have an obligation, regardless of whether I'm quote head of the household, right, to to say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I'm going to correct my behavior. Um, that is also important, I think, with raising your kids, is that you know it, when your kids are little, there's a lot of what we refer to as prescription, right? Don't do that. Why? Because I said so. Well, because I said so might be fine when they're three or giving them a SWAT when they're about to run into traffic. So they associate running into traffic with pain and they don't do it. That might be appropriate at certain age. Once they get up to, to higher ages, there has to be an explanation and they have to understand that the authority that you're using in order to discipline, in order to raise them, in order to give them information is not just based off of your ability to enforce discipline. It has to be based off of the authority of truth. And one of the and, and I think Tina and I were both on the same side of, uh, or the same sheet of music with that, with how we were going to discipline, when we were going to discipline, what discipline would look like, and then also this idea that her and I are a united front. That if if there's if if her and I having a disagreement with something that's going on with one of the kids, we'll handle that behind closed doors because the kids are never going to see us as anything but a united front with respect to how we raise them. That brings up another point where, uh, you know, I see women all the time. And I'm sure the guys do this too, which I, I saw my own dad do it with my brothers, but, uh, where they will sort of buddy up with, um, their kid sort of almost against the other parent. Mm -hmm. And I I've seen, you know, women who will go behind the dad's back and, you know, get their daughter birth control or whatever. And, or, or, you know, kind of encourage things that aren't very healthy um, because I don't know if they're trying to live vicariously through their daughter or what they're doing, but it's really damaging. This whole thing where you're going to isolate away from the other spouse and um, sort of buddy up with, with your kid is not, I mean, that is so damaging because uh, it, it creates this good, ba- good guy, bad guy scenario. And if dad's always got to be the bad guy, um, you're creating a, like, if you're the mom 
and you make the dad always be the bad guy, you're creating daddy issues in your own daughter. And and that's on you. And um, so now by the same token, a dad has got to be tender sometimes and he's got to be gentle. And if if you're not the type of guy who's gentle and you're too hot tempered, then, you know, maybe you should think about why your wife and your daughter don't talk to you about certain things is because maybe you're a bull in a china shop. You know, this comes to both people. Um, and so it obviously it doesn't always work for everybody. But if there is an issue where you know, your daughter doesn't feel safe to talk to her daddy. Um, that's a problem. And that's mom should go and talk to dad and say, dad, you know, honey, you need to be gentle with her. She's hurting. She needs you to listen. And she needs you not to fly off the handle and get mad, you know, and I and it's just so incredibly important. And, and I, I just feel like you need to foster a good relationship on both sides of the parenting spectrum. Otherwise, you're creating issues that are going to like come out down the road for your kids. Yeah, well, and, and it's every once in a while you see a parent that thinks that they're, you know, one parent's being too tough on the kids or whatnot, and so they're going to be the ones that kind of go along and and you know let them know everything's okay and the whole day. and and it ends. You, you're now setting up a team structure within your family that is is unhealthy because it's te- it, regardless of even if you think that again, and there's been times where Tina's had to take me aside and say I think you were I think you were a little bit too harsh there. And and I I told Tina early on when we first I mean we have a girl uh, we have a uh, Two girls and a boy, girl, boy, girl, you know, 19, 16, and 14. And I remember telling Tina early on, I'm like, look, you know, especially as my daughter gets older, I'm, I'm going to need you to kind of help me understand certain things. And I, I would say that I have a really good relationship with my daughters in large part because uh, of Tina and, and being willing to take her advice. And every once in a while, she'll say, Nick, you know, you need to understand you don't need to be because, and, and this is also true with like my, my son, boys usually not always boys sometimes need a little bit harsher discipline um not again not always i'm talking about general generalized terms here right and there'll be times where tina's like you're you know hey she did not <laughs> she did not need you to come down that hard she literally all you all you needed to say the moment you said i'm really disappointed like you got your point across no further you got your point across um but again, Tina was able, Tina would never like sit there and undermine me in front of the kids. And I don't undermine Tina in front of the kids. If we have an issue with the way somebody handled a particular situation, we'll take the other one aside and be like, honey, I think, I think this would have been a better approach or just consider this when you're doing that. Um, and, and again, usually it's the, the mom helping the dad understand things that the daughters are going through that we can't possibly relate to. We might be able to understand it on some sort of level, but we can't possibly relate to it. And and the father helping the wife understand certain things that sons are going through um, that they can't, they can understand, but can't possibly relate to. Right. Yeah. Well, I do think that we are a little bit past needing to pull each other aside. Um, I just usually get this look from Nick that just like he, I can't even explain the look that he gives me when he thinks I'm going a little overboard. Um, he'll, I don't know. It's like this, this frantic, like deer in the headlights sort of look. Well, we we each have a, we each have our respective looks that we will give in that moment that nobody else sees except for us. Yeah. And like I'll I'll, I'll I have a look I give you. You have a look you give me. And I'm like as soon as I get that look from you, I kind of know like okay something's back up. But <laughs> yeah, just back up a little bit. Back up a little bit. Um, But I mean, but this is all just to say that conflict is going to happen in a family. 
and but it's how you deal with it and mm-hmm. and are you dealing with the conflict in such a way where you have to always you know be right i kind of hate saying it like that because if you're right you're right mm-hmm. but um this idea that you couldn't possibly be wrong about anything um no you need to take a step back and go well maybe i don't fully understand the situation or maybe you do but you're not articulating very well to the other person why you're you're seeing it the correct way and they're not and i i think sometimes i think Nick and I, we will approach a situation where we are both trying to get to what is true and what is right. And that is the goal. And that's one of the reasons why having Christ at the center is so important, because he is the truth. And so, you know, one side or the other doesn't always have a handle on exactly what's correct. And so the point is we want to be on the same page, but we want to be in, on the same page um, being right, not not oh well I'm not right but at least I got you I won you over yeah I, I want I want us both to be right and to be because you can parent with confidence you can live with confidence is as long as you know okay we we had a little hiccup there but now we're on the same page because we both fully understand that this was correct or this was right and obviously some some things are just preference and that I mean gosh if if you're struggling with well, you know, I really prefer the toilet paper flapped out or I, I prefer it flapped in. Or or in our case, Nick hates it when I leave water in the dishes. But I do it because I need to soak things in order to get them clean. But he likes it to sit, you know, be dry because he doesn't like slimy water or whatever, you know, when whenever he has to do dishes. And Nick does sometimes do dishes. Can you believe it? Anyway, but um, but for us. This is a matter of preference. Now, of course, I think I'm right because I think it's good to be able to get all the gross stuff off, you know, and water soaks it, you know, whatever. But on his side, he doesn't want to touch that stuff. So at that point, it's just preference. And since I do most of the dishes, he'll go ahead and yield a little bit. It kind of bugs him, though. I can see him glance at it like, oh, but as long as he knows he doesn't have to touch it, I think he's OK. Uh, but well, when I when it's when I do him, I just do him my way. And when you do him, you do him your way. And it's yeah. But, but again, it's it's the difference. Nick does him the wrong way. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's the difference between something that is core and fundamental and something that is preference and understanding the difference is very, very important because um, what this really comes down to is being reasonable with the other person. Like I, I, I see this. um I, I I see this attitude where it's among guys sometimes where it's like, oh gosh, you know, you know, don't argue with your wife. She's always right. I'm like, if you have that sort of relationship with your wife, there's a problem. I'm going to tell you right now, if you have the sort of relationship with your wife where you will not argue with her when you think, you think she is wrong yeah. because of, of the pain it will cause, I'm telling you right now, both of you are doing something wrong. She's doing something wrong in the sense that essentially she's not trying to win because she's correct. She's trying to win because she'll make your life miserable if you're not. I will say this. Women do not respect cowards. And if you're too afraid to fight something out with your wife, and now I don't mean fight mean. I mean have the conversation and get to wherever the right place is between the two of you. If you know for sure you're right, she's going to respect you more if you'll take the time in a calm way to to help her understand why you you believe you're right and see if you can win her over you you need to look at arguments like winning the person over yeah not smashing them and belittling them don't ever say something to your spouse uh that is unloving just don't 
do it because at the end of the day, you can't take those words back. And so remember, you are on the same team. This is the person that you love and try to keep that at the front of your mind when you're in the midst of a heated argument. Well, and, and I think, yeah, I think what it comes down to, like the, the advice I would give to, so we'll go into the advice section now. <laughs> the, advice, advice. the advice, the, the advice section I would give to men, at least for this, and this is just, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm just telling you what's, what's worked and what I think also bears out when you, when you do any research on this or you read scripture on this or whatever it is. Um, if I think I am correct in something, and we're not talking about something like transient or, or again, we're not talking about how you do the dishes. If I think I'm correct on something that is fundamental and I allow, and, and thankfully Tina doesn't do this, but I, I allow for a situation where, you know, if, if Tina decided that she was going to be intransigent or unreasonable just because she preferred something a certain way, and, and I allow that to happen, at that point, that is on me. Because like Tina said, at that point, I've decided that it, it, is more hap- it is better to be comfortable in the moment than it is to actually fight for something that I think is correct or right or beneficial for, for us as a, as a couple or as a family. And it, if, I, if I set a, a precedent of showing that any time that I just don't want to deal with it, I stop fighting, that is sending a really bad message to her about how I value us being on the same page. The other side of that is if we do have that discussion and she ends up being right, well, then I better be willing to admit that, right? That, that Because at that point, either way, on one side, you're giving up because you just desire peace over you know, what, what's actually true and just, in which case at that point, you're just lazy, all right? And, and on the other side, if you're not willing to admit when you're wrong, when she's obviously correct, now you're saying that your pride is more important than what's true. And, and both of those attitudes are toxic toward a situation. That absolutely happens on both sides with folks all the time. I see it all the time. And I, I just feel, I feel like there is, if you're not willing to have the discussion and, and obviously you can't exasperate each other. You can't, you can't make each other so angry that you can't see reason. And if you do that, you've got to try to figure out how to diffuse the situation um, because tempers flare and and if you got to take a few minutes to calm down to come back and have the conversation then do that um but definitely come back and have the conversation you know you can't just push it off uh, there is a really big difference between um how much a woman respects her husband um if he's always just unwilling to have the conversation and just lets her have her way all the time versus she actually has to explain to him why this is correct and he maybe sometimes is right and she comes over to his side but sometimes she's right and he's now giving her the opportunity to make her case and win him over well if i win nick over hey man that is a huge win for me i love it because usually i mean nick is nick's right a lot um now of course you heard it here this is this is recorded for posterity yeah but i'm right a lot too but you know so the thing is, though, it's we have had situations where we have had a conversation that is last days and I will finally say I will finally word something in just the right way to where it, he finally sees that I'm right. And he I love it. He'll be like, honey, you're right. OK, you're right. And I'm going, wait, what? That's it? That's we, it? I'm right? We had one situation. I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington. We had been, I can't even remember what it was. All I remember was we've been arguing for like two days. And again, this this shows where 
even though she was happy that she won me over, it doesn't mean I always articulated myself correctly either. But she's, we were arguing for like two days about something. And then she worded the argument in such a way where I was like, you know what? I, I don't have a response to that. That's yeah, she's correct. She's right. And, and I remember we're in the car, we were in the car and we're driving out and I said, you know what? Okay. That makes sense. You're right. We'll do, we'll, we'll do it that way. We'll do that. And she did. She looked at me. She goes, are you serious right now? Well, because I, I felt like I had been saying that the whole time, but somehow I articulated it slightly differently to where it finally came home for him. But it was, it was funny. She just said, we've been arguing about this for two days. I said, yes, but all of your other arguments were wrong. This one was correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and we've, we've had a couple of those. But the thing is, is you can't be afraid to have a conversation over the span of days. But it's hard to have that kind of conversation if you're both really quick tempered and, and, and you get mean or anything like that. And so that type of communication only works if you're not going to be mean to each other. Okay, now we're going to do this. We're going to close this up because it's almost been an hour here. So we're going to okay. talk about, we're going to do do's and don'ts. You're going to do one do, one don't okay. for the wives. I'm going to do one do, one don't for the husbands. And then one do, one don't for being a parent, mother, one do, one don't as a father. Start, let's start with the don'ts. Okay. So do you do you want to do you want to do the first don't? Or do you yeah. want me to do the first don't? Okay. Tina's going to do the first don't for wives. Don't go to your mommy and daddy and complain about your husband. They don't love him as much as you love him. <laughs> and they don't have the capacity to forgive him when you have decided you forgive him. So if you... Go and tell your parents all these things that he's wrong about. And of course, when you're mad, sometimes you you make things seem a lot worse than they really are. And but your mom and dad are going to look at this and go, well, this guy's a real jerk. Why? Why is she even with him? You know, and all of that stuff will pile up for your mom and dad. And you will end up having parents that do not like your spouse because your capacity to forgive him is a lot higher than your parents' capacity to forgive him. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't have somebody that you talk to when you're frustrated, but but really, it should not be your mom and dad. Obviously, talk to them about, about things when you're not mad, and you can share you know, struggles and things like that when you're not angry, but do not pick up the phone and call your mom and just blast your mama with all the bad things your husband's doing because she will have a very long memory and she will not forgive like you will. <laughs> uh, that's a good, mine's actually kind of similar. All right, first don't for husbands. Do not talk trash about your wife to your friends. Now I'm not talking about like the kind of stereotypical jokes that like we always, that, that you know, husbands and wives engage in everyone and comedians do it, that everyone thinks is kind of funny, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about guys that sit there and run down their wives. Um, basically, if it's a joke you want to say in front of her, about about her or or you know something like that do not run down your wife to your friends i'm going to tell you right now when i see people doing that and again i'm not talking about kind of like a casual joke or something like, i'm talking about like literally running down the, i think that guy's a douchebag i'm dead serious like it, i i just feel like it's one of the most disrespectful things that you can do to somebody that you made a lifelong commitment to that is probably the mother of your children that's supposed to be your best friend i know we all get upset sometimes at our at the people that we love but do not talk trash about your wife to your friends again very different to have like a friend or an accountability partner or someone like that that you talk to you say you know i'm struggling with this but 
even then it needs to be someone that is, is like when you go to them and you have a struggle with something or, or you're uh, upset about something, they need to be, they need to be committed and they need to have the same worldview with respect to your marriage is, is important and, and, and whatnot before they can even give you advice. So don't be going to somebody that, that, you know, doesn't at least have some sort of, uh, you know, or understands the commitment you've made in your own marriage and, and is, is dedicated to helping you have a healthy marriage. If you, if you need advice or you need to vent or whatnot. But again, if you've got an issue, take it up with your wife. Uh, don't be taken up with your, with your buddies. Cause it's, it's just, it, it sets a really bad precedent. And so that's my, that's my don't as a husband, what's your do as a wife? The do is take note of the areas where your husband is amazing and tell him. You need to make sure he knows you admire things about him um, because just because you you live there with him and you're a part of his world, don't just assume he knows how you feel. If if he's really good at something, he needs that little pat on the back. Sometimes you need to let him know that that you're proud of him. And um, like I try to um, tell Nick about the things I'm proud of because there are a lot of things I'm proud of, but um, he needs to know that that you genuinely admire him in areas. And if you're struggling to admire certain things about your husband, you need to start trying to pay attention to what he does. What is he good at? What What is it that he does for your family selflessly? And maybe talk to him about it and tell him how much you appreciate it and um, how much you respect certain things about him. And it just it's very, very important that your husband knows how much you love him and love and respect are very indistinguishable for a man. So you have to show him that you respect the fact that he does this or he you respect that he uh, is able to take care of this or or that. You know, I don't know your situation, but find what it is, because the more I mean, biblically, um, you know, there's there's a scripture that talks about, you know, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is of of good repute you know, focus on those things, um, meditate on those things. And that doesn't just apply to the rest of your life. That also applies to your marriage. The more you set your mind on the, the things that are good, the more you're going to think about the things that are good. Um, and the, the, the things that are hiccups here and there are going to become smaller. But if you only focus on the, the rough spots, then you're going to feel like the whole thing's rough. So, Focus on those good things and um, and articulate it with your spouse so that they know you admire them. Um, I think that's just to me that's really important and and it also plays into the the not bad mouthing your spouse thing. So yeah, so again, mine mine's kind of similar. It's it's kind of two pronged, right? So for husbands, it's your wife needs to feel appreciated and desired. Um, you, you'll, you'll see people at a certain stage of marriage, and not just for sex. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, uh, but I, I mean, here's the important thing, right? Because you will see the, to that point, um, cause that is an important component of marriage. It just is like God intended that within the, the marriage, you know, uh, bonds. But a lot of guys have this idea where all of a sudden, like literally you're, you're not appreciating the things that your wife does. So just like Tina talks about wives showing appreciation and respect for things that their husbands do that you, you, at some point you kind of take for granted or just think, well, that's, that's them doing their job. It's also easy for husbands to not realize that there is a whole host of things that happen that your, your, your wife just kind of intuitively takes care of or does. And she needs to know that you appreciate that. And you actually see that, that difficulty and that struggle and that stress for what it is. 
um, and, and, and taking the time to just say, I just really appreciate this mm-hmm. and, and, and articulating that. And then on the desired side, because again, you'll hear, this is one of the things that husbands will complain about is like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't have enough special time, right? Well, okay. Have, have you actually, have you actually made your wife feel desired or, or are you literally now using her as a tool for your own gratification? Because I, I guarantee you, if your wife feels appreciated and desired, the chances that everything else is going to be <laughs> happening the way you want it to is probably a higher degree of probability. I think that's a fair statement, right? And so desired is not just to say that, you know, you, you desire your wife, you know, physically, although I think that is a component of it, but it's also the idea that she knows that you genuinely, by appreciating her, her actions and appreciating her opinion, but also, um, it's kind of, it, it's when you show admiration, right? It, it's, it's not just that physical desire, although I'm telling you that is a component of it. She needs to feel that you physically desire her, but she also needs to feel that like that admiration for who she is. So it's, it's a combination of appreciating the things she does and the things that she endures in order to make things happen. Right. And the frustrations that come along with that and appreciating that. And then on the other side, you know, her being confident in knowing that you see her at, like there, there's just no other woman in the world, right? When it, when it comes to any of those, those things there, there's no other woman in the world. She's the one. And you still, you know, again, when, when scripture talks about taking delight in the wife of your youth, um, she needs to know that you feel that way. And, and so I would just tell husbands that again, that's not just about you fulfilling your physical desires and gratification. It's about her knowing that she feels love in, in a very complete way uh, that is a common, again, the, the best way I can put it is in a, both appreciation and desire. That's that, that's that sort of, you know, sense of love that she's going to feel from that, that is very important. You have an obligation to provide, right? When the Bible says husbands love your wives, that's not a suggestion. Um, that, that's a command. And, and loving your wife, I think, has to include both that appreciation as well as that desire. All right. Do's and don't for parents. Do you want to do a don't first or? Hmm. Yeah. Don't, well, I think I already covered right, my don't. Okay. Don't divide um, your parent. Don't divide your kids away from the parents. Don't buddy up and um, and try to make the other parents a bad guy. This is kind of like your, your don't for moms. A don't for moms. Yeah. Don't uh, keep a bunch of secrets from your husband with your daughters. If there are things that happen with your daughters, uh, that your husband probably needs to know about. And if you're afraid of his reaction, then you need to articulate, um, with him that, look, I need you to be calm about this. You're going to hear something you may not want to hear. I've definitely, you know, I've known some folks who, uh, the daughter confides that something bad happened to her and they, the, the mother and the daughter really didn't want the dad to know. So the mom kept it. And I don't think that's fair to the father because he needs the opportunity to defend his daughter. And, uh, I, I just think that you've got to be open both spouses with, with the kids. And obviously there are some things that are really, really private that dad doesn't really need to be involved in, you know, whether it's a girl's cycle issues or whatever, obviously dad doesn't need to know all of that, but it's not, it's just don't be keeping secrets. 
Um, and I think that's really important. Yeah. And one, and again, I'll, I'll just caveat on that and say, you know, dads, if you don't want to be someone they keep secrets from, then you have to handle situations in a reasonable manner when it's brought to you. Uh, and I will say this, if you do handle, handle it in a reasonable manner, that will pay dividends. There, there is nothing greater than when your when your daughter is trying to figure out a tough situation and she feels totally comfortable talking to her dad about it. That is one of the most gratifying things you'll ever feel as a father. All right, my don't to dads. Um, do not have separate standards for your daughters and your sons. Um, drives me nuts. And I'll give you an example of this. I, I can't tell you how many guys I, I knew that... Um, you know, I'm friends with that I respect, that I like, that I served in the military with, whatever it is. And their whole attitude toward what their daughters was, if anybody touches my daughter, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, beat the crap out of them. But I, I expect my son to go out there and sow his oats. Like you are sending mixed messages right there that are totally inappropriate. And, and if you want to know one of the single biggest problems that people have to, to actually fostering good, strong relationships, it is the, it, it is the total pushing of sexuality onto our kids at ever and ever younger ages when they're clearly not capable uh, of, of engaging in that sort of activity. They're not mentally or even physically ready for it in so many responses. But if, if the father is sitting there treating the son like, <laughs> well, at the same time he's telling his daughters, you better be home by nine or I'm going to murder somebody, you are sending mixed signals about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And what you're doing is you're telling your daughter that I'm depriving you of something that's fun that I'm going to allow my son to do. And what you're telling your son to do is to treat everybody else's daughter in a way that you never allow your own daughter to be treated. It is, it is the most intellectually absurd, contradictory, and quite frankly, damaging thing that a father can do to their children. And it pisses me off when I see it done. Like, I don't mean to get worked up about this, but this one angers me. This one angers me because you are, you are sowing seeds that are so destructive for your kids. And, and I'm so tired of seeing the world come in and everyone else and all these people that are so-called experts like, oh, no, no, you, you've got it. Your kids are going to do this anyway, so you just need to prepare them to be safe. No, if you really love your children, then what you teach them, whether it's your son or whether it's your daughter, what you teach them is, is that you respect your body and you respect somebody else's body. And you don't want to show up one day to the person you're about to make a lifelong commitment to and have to explain to them the huge body count that came before them because you didn't care or take into consideration what their feelings would be in that moment. So if you want to have the sort of if you want to have the sort of healthy marriage, then fathers, the way you teach your sons to treat their, their future wives, the way you treat their your daughters, it is is personified in the way that you treat your wife and in the standards that you set so that both of your children know that the reason why you have those standards for physical contact, right? For dating rules, for things like that is not because the rules are different from one side or the other. It's because that you respect the whole idea of, one, being respectful of another person's heart, being respectful of their body, and, and setting them up for success so that when they are about to get married, they can enter into that relationship in a way knowing that not only do they have respect for their body, but they also are, are able to enter into that relationship in such a way to where they, they can truly be secure and feel loving toward one another because they don't have to explain a lot of other things that came before. And fathers, we play a huge role in that based off of how we raise our sons and our daughters. So don't have mixed messages. Don't have mixed standards on that. Um, you know, this is a, it, this is supposed to be a beautiful thing within the bonds of marriage. And if we, if we raise our kids to think that way and believe that way, you will be shocked 
at the own, their own bound. I'm seeing it in my own life right now, the boundaries that they will set and what they will look for in a, in a spouse. I could not be happier right now with, with the dating relationship that my oldest daughter has with, with her boyfriend, who I think is a great guy. Um, but it starts with fathers setting a standard and not having a double standard for their sons and their daughters when it comes to issues of, of dating and sexuality. I think that's that's huge. And one of the reasons I think that is so huge is because uh, you see a lot of these guys that, that enter into these uh, relationships. And if you talk to their wives, uh, they're not very happy sexually sometimes because a lot of these guys who the whole point was to get a body count. The whole point was to gratify, you know, basically just use women as a tool. Um, you know, that makes somebody a very set selfish, um, sexual partner. And if they are very, very selfish in that area, that doesn't, I mean, us women, we, um, you have to crack the code a little bit on women and you know, you've got to learn their body. And everybody's a little different. Well, and so my point is, if your wife is very uh, sexually gratified and very happy with with what you do, and it's and this whole performance thing is very different than I think uh, society puts out there. Um, if you are if you are a very giving person sexually, uh, chances are it wasn't all about body count for you before you know I, I think that i think this idea that guys need to go and sow their oats gives them a really really it gives them bad sexual habits oh i i i used to i, I mean again i was in the military i was in special forces i would have you know i would have friends of mine buddies in, in sf in the military that would tease me because i'd gotten married so young and you know and i i didn't have those experiences before i got um you know, I, I didn't have those experiences with, with other people. And finally, I got sick of it one day. I, like, they were just teasing me about it. And I looked over and I said, you guys have GEDs in dozens of women. I've got a PhD in one. Who do you really think knows what they're doing? Nick. Nick knows what he's <laughs> no, doing. No, no, God. That's the part that's going to be edited. He does no. have a PhD. <laughs> right now. But no, and this is important because again, the idea, the idea with raising your kids to understand this stuff is not to try to make it something that's like, you know, dirty or what the world makes it dirty. God intended it to be beautiful, but he intended it to be beautiful within a certain environment. And so when, when you respect that, it pays dividends. All right. So last that's two, right. we got to, we got to, we got to, we got our our what is our uh yeah this is way too much information <laughs> all right what is what is the no okay the one don't uh for you so you already wait you already did the don't for moms what's the do for moms and i'll do the do for okay do make sure that you are open with information uh to your kids that's just the opposite of your don't no that's not oh with kids okay, okay. Right. so i've had i i've known people who uh the parents kind of keep everything sort of hidden from their kids every struggle because they don't want the kid to have to be raised under knowing that there's struggle going on um and i feel like that can be damaging i think you should be as open as you can with your kids about what's really going on now obviously uh you don't hand your child something to carry that's too heavy for them um, and that applies with emotional things as well. So you definitely need to account for what they can handle. But it is important for your kids to understand that struggles happen so that when they happen in their own life, when they are an adult, they don't think the sky is falling. They don't think it's over. 
they know that struggles, they know they're going to encounter struggles and they're going to watch you and your, your spouse, um, deal with those struggles openly. And, and then they're going to know how to deal with those struggles. Now, obviously I, I don't, uh, think that you should, uh, share with your kids necessarily, uh, really, really private things. Um, but you know, if, if there's something going on in the family, I I do think that, you know, don't hide things from your kids. They need to know that you're not perfect too. They need to know that, um, like when I, when, when our daughter was little Lily and she's 19 now, but when she was little, she thought I could fix anything. She'd bring me her toy that, you know, she ripped the leg off a of Barbie or something. And she'd be like, fick it, mommy, fick <laughs> it. And I, for some reason I could always fick everything. Um, but the thing is, is they need to know there are some things you can't fix. They need to know that there are some things, uh, some, you know, sometimes moms and dads struggle too. And I think the kids need to know that. And you'd be real with it. So uh, my do for dads is this. Do set high expectations for your kids. Um, Now, along with that, you have to actually help them and equip them to meet that. And they need to know that even if they fall short of that expectation, you're still going to love them. So you're still the safe harbor. Right. This is not about setting an expectation that crushes them when they don't feel. But by the same token, I, I will watch somebody set low expectations for their kids or they'll engage in this sort of behavior. They'll allow their kid to do something that's dangerous or stupid because they did it when they were a kid. And, and, and I've had it before where I said, well, no, the, my standard is this and they're not allowed to do X, Y or Z. And they're like, well, did you have that standard when you were growing up? No. Well, then why did you do it on them? Because my job is not to make my child a better version of me. My job as their father is to provide a safe and loving environment where we educate and we discipline and we prepare so they can be everything that God has created them to be. That's my job. So the standard is is not me. I'm supposed to live up to the standard as best as I possibly can, so I set an example. But ultimately, I do want to set high expectations for my kids because I want them to know I believe in their ability to achieve it. Right, that that it's not about me being disappointed if they fall short. It's about me saying, "Hey, look, you fell short. It happens. Now let's let's figure out how do we get back on there. How do we accomplish something?" So it it's that it's a combination of setting expectations and then uh, or helping them set those expectations, but them knowing that you believe in their ability to achieve it and attain it, and you're going to be there for them to cheer them on and be happy when they succeed and to be a safe harbor on the storm when they don't. But the last thing that you want to do is create this environment where you have no expectations for your kids or you pretend like, you know, whatever they do is is wonderful or great. No, that's not true. And the world's certainly not going to treat them that way. So set them up for success and and let them know that you believe in them and and that you are willing to to work and sacrifice and help them, you know, achieve that the unique purpose that God has set in their life. So all right, that's all the time we got. We've gone over an hour. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to see. Well, I'm gonna have to look at the analytics and see how many people actually listened all the way to the end. But I want to thank you all for sticking with us. I hope this was, you know, again with with everything going on in the world and all the different ideas about you know marriage and raising kids and and life and family and what that all looks like now and everything being redefined. You know, obviously we have this. We have a biblical view and we're not ashamed of it and we're proud of it. And and part of the reason why we're proud of it is because. Um, you know, we, we've experienced something good as a result of it and it doesn't mean we've always perfectly executed it. I mean, I think both of us would admit we've, we've made mistakes, we've screwed up. We're constantly trying to learn and do better. Um, 
But ultimately, the, the only reason why we would offer this is because it's something that out of 22 years of experience and 19 years experience raising kids, um, we've seen these things work and they're not our ideas. They're not our methods. These are certain truths that we've recognized that we've seen through scripture, through trial, through error. And that's why we offer it as, as something that's good. It's not because it's our idea. It's because it's something that we've been able to put in practice and see results. And we want people to be as happy. I mean, I, I love marriage and I want other people to love marriage too, but they're, but it doesn't just happen easily. And we just wanted to be real with what it really does take, at least in our situation, what it has taken. Maybe, maybe next time we do something like this, we'll do the dumbest things we've ever said to each other. That's a good idea. Because I've said some dumb things. We've all said dumb things. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much for joining us. We hope you had a great Christmas. We hope you have a happy new year. We got another podcast coming up later in the week. We're probably going to be talking a little bit about what happened in 2021 and very important. We're going to be doing predictions for 2022. So we'll be able to come back next year. We'll look at those predictions and figure out what were what were we right on and what was I totally off base on. Once again, from both uh, Tina and I, thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.